Welcome to an enlightening podcast from IslamPodcasts.com. We encourage our listeners to please comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please remind your family and friends to also visit IslamPodcasts.com for engaging discussions on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, Sirah, and much more. Alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah, wa ala alihi wa sahabihi wa man wala. To all of our viewers, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. And welcome to this special show discussing the events in Pakistan, Thai Pakistan in crisis, the players, the politics, and the people. Anyone who's been following international events is fully aware that after weeks of internal turmoil, and a vote of no confidence in the Pakistan parliament, uh, Imran Khan was removed as prime minister, and another party has failed to serve its full term. As a result, an all-too-familiar name has come back to power, the PML uh, Noon. So Shabazz Sharif, even though he hasn't been prime minister previously, he was in the administration of his brother, Nawaz Sharif, and the country now continues in this cycle of uncertainty. Leading up to this point were accusations of foreign conspiracies to oust Imran Khan and the PTI from government. There were accusations that the opposition was involved in this conspiracy. And others accused the deep state, the hidden power of the military leadership, as having a hand in the current crises. Amongst all of these events, there are some fundamental questions which may have been overlooked and which do not seem to be a discussion amongst many. So why, how has Pakistan reached this point? Is Pakistan inherently corrupt? And that's why the power is concentrated in a corrupt few. Um, where does Pakistan go from here with the PML back into power? What does Pakistan need to do to get out this cycle of uncertainty? The victims of whom are the Pakistani people? In today's show, inshallah, we will try to address some of these issues with our guests. But before we do that, let's go to a short video. And if I can... Jazakallah so joining me today to discuss the events in Pakistan, I have four guests who have been following Pakistan's politics for many years. I have with us Dr. Abdul Wahid, an advocate for Khilafah in Pakistan, a community activist who has authored a number of articles, presented lectures, and engaged in debates on various topics presenting Islam as an alternative. I have Adnan Khan, an author whose book have been reviewed on Al-Waqiyah TV, namely his Yilin Stoltman, of strategic estimates which reviews key political events, regional interests of global powers and provides insight into future political trends. Adnan has also written for several online publications. I have Nazar Khan who has been involved in the Islamic Dao for almost 30 years, having spoken at many events, debated the case for Islam at university campuses and written extensively on Islam as an alternative system for humanity. Finally, joining me live from Pakistan is our special guest, Imran Yusufzai, who is a member of Hizb Tahrir Pakistan. Imran has been on the ground 
for many years already given his insight into recent events and Pakistan's future. So to all of my guests, Salaam Alaikum wa Rahmatullahi wa Barakatuhu and Jazakallah for taking the time in the month of Ramadan to discuss this important topic. Let, let me start the show by, by going straight into the first question um, and I'll direct this towards Imran. Um, there's a lot of talk leading up to current events about outside influence and interference in, in, in Pakistan um, and to remove uh, PTI. What are the foreign interests in Pakistan, considering Pakistan's economy is considered repressed, it has high levels of unemployment and limited energy resources. Why would any foreign power want to, want to be concerned with interfering in Pakistan? Jazakallah uh, khair. First of all, uh, this question as a background. Uh, Pakistan is not an independent state, just like other new colonial states that were constructed post 1940s, 50s, and uh, none of these nation power except a few are independent. So interference is a normal thing in, in our countries. Uh, it happens continuously. They are so evident that it doesn't need even any evidence, uh, whether it's regime change, whether it's the economic policies that are, that are controlled by the foreign powers are our military being used for their wars. So it is, it is too obvious. However, I have to say that uh, the current regime change is instigated by the foreign power. It is actually internal politics, power struggle. Uh, but let me explain this, this, this main point. Pakistan, there is no escape from Pakistan. As the initial video also highlighted some of the key features of Pakistan. Pakistan is strategically located. Pakistan uh, the, 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 the videos sh show that it's the sixth largest nuclear power. However, some of the report even suggests that Pakistan is the third largest nuclear power. Pakistan is the sixth largest army. It's in terms of area and population, it's fifth and sixth. Uh, in all the agriculture produce, it is within the top 10, or in, except in only a few areas in top 20 countries. So it has food security, it has the uh, defense it has strong area, it has strategic location, it is at the crossroad of international, uh, international pathways. So there is no escape from Pakistan and Americans have well understood this much before. And uh, despite now Afghanistan is no more on the US radar and which has limited the exposure to Pakistan and Pakistani, Pakistan issues, yet they are very clear, there is no escape from Pakistan. Because Pakistan is a potential launching pad for Islamic resurgence. Pakistan is created in the name of La ilaha illallah, the only state in the world which was which is based on this narrative. And it is there inside the hearts of the Muslim of Pakistan. Whatever come and goes, this basic motivation is there. So therefore, America cannot ignore Pakistan in any case. And that's why there is no escape. Okay, Jazakallah Khair. Um, we apologize to our audience if there's any breaks in sound. Um, Imran is joining us from Pakistan. So uh, apologies if there's any, any, just bear with us. We'll try to resolve that. Uh, we would like the participation of our audience. So there's a banner running across the bottom of this show. So please submit some questions. You can do that through Twitter. You can do that through YouTube. You can do that through Facebook. We would really the audience participation for you to share questions and your views on some of the points that our guests are, are, are raising or anything else that you would like to, to raise in relation 
to this subject. Um, Abunan, uh, let me just come to you, just following up from what Imran has said. Imran has talked about some of the capacity and capability of the country. Uh, somebody may argue that the access to those resources or those strategic capabilities uh, are very limited, right, for Pakistan in itself without some type of outside of involvement. What would your view be on that? Okay, I'll spend time to you, Mr. Kamal Rahim. Salaam to you all. Uh, apologies if there's some sound in the background. My neighbours oh, decided yeah. to do some uh, bank DIY. Um, look, you're right, Pakistan, you know, as uh, Imran mentioned, Pakistan's location and its resources is what makes it important. And unfortunately, those resources haven't really been utilised or developed for the benefit of the uh, people. Now, look, Pakistan's in the same stage as many countries were who now are developed countries. So what Pakistan needs is some sort of strategy to develop the know-how, to develop the manufacturing base, and to develop the skills in order to make use of these resources. So uh, there are some areas Pakistan already has some expertise to develop nuclear weapons. In other areas, it could uh, acquire this. But no regime or no government has had a plan for this. We see Pakistan's full of mineral wealth, but the, this wealth is still in the ground because uh, uh, various individuals are trying to take uh, kickbacks and things like that. So, you, you know, it's a shame it's a country full of resources, has a lot of potential, but it's not being uh, utilised for that uh, purposes. So these are small challenges that can be uh, overcome pretty easily. There are countries who were in a far worse position than Pakistan and they've been able to uh, overcome it because they had some long-term planning and they were committed to changing their situation. Zakal so I'll, I'll, I'll come back to this point. Um, there is, there's always an argument that I, uh, Pakistan needs to be. There's, there's always a. a, a sorry, did Masud, did you want to come in on that point? No, no I, I just want to add I one, think Imran one was specific point. Speak. All right, Imran. Yes, please go ahead. Okay, uh, one, one very quick point. Actually, Pakistan's strategic uh, position is so strong that ex-Pakistani rulers always try to use this to get some economic support from the West because their, their, their capitalist system is unable to exploit our resources and it results into weak economic power. So they use our strategic power for the benefit mm. for to get some ad so they use pakistan army for the uh, for the western interest and get some ad in return they surrender our rivers and get some ad in return they surrender kashmir and get some ad in return so this is their, their the pakistan establishment policy to use pakistan strategic position and you and, and, and then get some ad in return for that so so you're saying essentially that there's in the capability of Pakistan and its strategic interests in order to be able to bring money in but that money get them gets siphoned off between the revolving door of the, the small corrupt elite okay let me let, let me let me follow that up because because th that would indicate that Pakistan I mean discussion that Pakistan you know wants to be independent needs to be independent it's under American influence is under other nations influence uh, is it possible for Pakistan to become independent without the mid military leadership wanting the same? And uh, again, directed towards Imran, do you believe that the army is actually striving for that goal to be independent uh, from American influence? Or is it actually going the other way, where it wants to be closer to America? 
and which will keep Pakistan in this this cycle of dependency. Uh, basically, Pakistan. Imran, are you able to hear me? This strong... Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, the Pakistan military officers, the rank and file, they are staunchly anti-American. They want liberation. They want sovereignty. They want dignity. That's the emotions throughout Pakistan. Within the urban centers, within the rural center, people want independence, people want sovereignty, people want dignity. However, the military leadership as well as the political leadership, they are on the other side of the uh, of the people. Actually, let me let me clarify one one point. The colonial strength is because of the four factors. Number one, colonial institution and international laws. Number two, colonial direct presence in the Muslim land. Number three, the Western system that are there in our countries. And number four, the agent rulers. So we can see the people are against the American intervention. However, General Bajwa was so explicit in saying in the internet, in the, in the strategic dialogue that happened in Islamabad, where he say, that our best weapons comes from US, our training is, is our strong, we got strong training from US and our export market is US and we will not disassociate with the US. We will, we will, we will follow the American camp and practically this is, this was what his message was. He openly sided against Russia with America. So that, that, that shows that under General Bajwa are any similar military leadership and civilian military leadership it is simply not possible to change the destiny and fate of the people of Pakistan. Okay, Jazakallah. Uh, let me bring in Dr. Abdul Wahid. Uh, Imran, he mentioned about the, the, the rank and file of the army wanting, wanting uh, uh, independence from American influence, but it's, it's the top tier of the military. Somebody could argue that then why doesn't the military at that lower rank file do something about that? Why is it that, that they are willing to remain silent in terms of what is happening? Dr. Abdul Wahid, can you hear me? I'm mute. You're on mute. You're on mute. Yes, I'll, 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 sorry. Assalamu alaikum. So, so uh, um, Jamil, the answer to this question is, probably mostly lies in the reality of military. military. People in the army are trained to follow orders. Uh, they, they are very disciplined in that. Um, and you are really unlikely to get uh, open rebellion in the army. But in a country like Pakistan with a very large army, which draws its army from the, the grassroots people, they are part of the people. So w whatever the sentiments of the people are, they'll be reflected within the armed forces. Um, but uh, if, you, if you take what Im uh, Imran uh, from Pakistan has just told us, and you understand that the political leadership and the military very much tied into America's strategic vision for South Asia, then when people go up the army ranks, they will be screened and they will look for the people that they find more favorable to their viewpoint that can be manipulated. And some of that screening will happen within Pakistan and some of that screening will happen as officers are sent overseas for training um, and, and they'll keep an eye out looking. But we know from experience and in, in Hizmut Tahrir across the world, uh, in Pakistan and elsewhere, that uh, 
even amongst the senior ranks of the military, there, there have been well-recorded uh, evidence of disquiet policy from the chief of army staff. Uh, so whether this is from retired officers or whether this is from officers who have been arrested or demoted, um, it's a fact. Um, bottom line is when you, in fact, I'd urge people to listen to General Bajwa's speech in Islamabad a couple of weeks ago. It was as if somebody outside of the region has written that script for him. When you, when you start parroting uh, terms like uh, global poverty, environmental crisis, international terrorism, these kind of things, th this, is, this is actually addressing the, the, the world problems as seen through the lens of Washington or, or, or the United Nations or, or these kind of things. And when you talk about our goal being a prosperous uh, South Asia uh, with celebrating diversity, eliminating extremism. This is the language that comes out of the West. This is not the language of somebody who's sitting in Islamabad thinking about the interests of Pakistan and, the, and Islam and the sentiments of the Muslims in that country. On the east of Pakistan, you have a hostile neighbor that you have been to war with the rhetoric against Pakistan is tremendous in India. The actions towards Muslims in India is tremendous. The actions towards Muslims in Kashmir is tremendous. And yet the military and civilian leadership is talking about peaceful cooperation. Whose interest is that in? It makes no sense to anyone who's objective, really. And, and what that shows you is that the, 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 the leadership there has red lines which no civilian government or no military leader is allowed to break out of unless they had the boldness of vision to realize that the current trajectory Pakistan is going on is the same as it's been going on for 70 plus years, which is unfortunately into more and more and more crises because of being tied into this international system and being uh, uh, adopting this imported colonized democratic system of government in the country. Let, let me follow up that question, but just before I do, uh, if you're joining us, we are talking about the crisis in Pakistan, the players, the politics and the people, looking at who's involved, looking at what is the politics of the country and what is the impact on the people. We would like the audience participation. You'll see the banner which is running across the bottom of our show. You can submit your questions through Facebook, through YouTube, through Twitter. And uh, inshallah, we'll try to get to those and, and, and put those to our guests. Um, to, to respond. Master, um, let me bring you in. Dr. Abdul Wahid, he, he said that Pakistan has these, you know, these, these red lines, right, that foreign powers have drawn for them. They can't cross those red lines and they keep working within those parameters. So a question that comes to mind about the, the system in Pakistan, right, why is it that somebody can draw these lines and why is that people have to operate within those? Is the issue just not in Pakistan that you need a government that comes to power and is able to serve out its term. Because apart from the Zadari government, no other government has been able to serve out its, its full term. Isn't that what the country needs in order to have stability? question. You know, I think it's almost a rhetorical question because I think this has already been answered in what has already been said. Um, it's if you have a stable government, 
it's irrelevant if you have a five-term, 10-term, 15-year term government. The structural problems in Pakistan is what needs to be addressed. It's the system that is causing the problem. It's not the stability of the government. Musharraf was, Musharraf was there for, for a good number of years. Zardari served out a whole term. It made no difference to the common man on the street. So when each and every government, whether it's the PPP, whether it's the PML, whether it's PTI, whether it's the military uh, rule, all of them are following the same fundamental parameters which have been put there for them by the, uh, by, by the West. So when it comes to taking loans from the IMF, when it comes to following international law, when it goes to, when it, when it uh, asks them to go to the international institutions like the IMF or, sorry, the United Nations to deal with their problems, which remain unresolved, they are tying the nation into slavery. And this cycle needs to be broken. So it's not about stable government. It's irrelevant if you've got a stable government. The problem is the way the nation is governed and all the parties do uh, follow the same systems. For example, Imran Khan made so many promises before he came to power. Whether they were sincere or that's irrelevant. He said, I am not going to go begging to the IMF. I am not going to do this. I'm not going to be the slave of the West. I'm going to bring Riyasit and Medina. I'm going to look after the common people. I'm going to give jobs within 90 days. He failed on those fronts. Not what, but because he didn't really want to. The point was the system, the actual things that are there will never allow him to do that. The vested interests, the landowners, the industrialists, they will never allow him to change Pakistan to affect their interest. And this is the problem. The system serves the political elite and it serves the industrial elite. So when IMF loan comes in, when aid comes in, that aid and loan doesn't even reach the common man on the street. It is filtered away into uh, uh, offshore bank accounts. So it really benefits these people. Why is it? that they want to get into power of a country w which is so poor. You know, many years ago, um, I don't know if some other brother remember, many years ago there was a debate between a member of Hizb al-Tahrir and somebody from the uh, Pakistani embassy, I think it was in Luton, that the debate was uh, organized. And they asked him a specific question. They said to the, 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 the high commissioner, they said, why is it? that every man, woman and child in Pakistan wants to leave Pakistan and come to the West to earn their living. And the only people that want to go into Pakistan are the politicians. So when Ben gets kicked out, when Nawaz Sharif gets kicked out, they try their utmost to get back. Said, Why is it that everybody wants to leave the country to make a living, but these politicians want to go into the country? And he got embarrassed and he wouldn't answer the question. He said, look, you shouldn't take politics too, too seriously. Everyone understands why. It's because they go to the country because Pakistan is a cash cow for them. They loot it and they take the money because the system works for them, but it doesn't work for the masses. So about the stability of the government, it's about the system and the debate really needs to change. It's not whether Nawaz Sharif is a good pair of hands, a safe pair of hands. It's not whether Imran Khan is going to solve the problem. It's not whether PPP is going to solve the problem. The question and the debate needs to turn to the fundamental way the country is run. And that needs to change, and that needs to be the debate. Dr. Abdul Wahid, let me bring you in, in, in on this point, because you, you've spoken on, on the system in Pakistan previously. Somebody could argue that, that if you look at democracy, 
it, it works in the in the West. So the problem in Pakistan is actually not the system. We're blaming the system, but it's actually individuals who are corrupt, who have come to power, and who have home is their own meaning, their own greed that has driven them rather than the interests of the country. And as long as you bring a face who has that desire to move the country forward, the problem is not the system. I mean, it served the West really well, and that's why people run to it. What would you say? I would say the difference between the democracy in Pakistan and democracy in Britain. Uh, I'm off mute. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Can you hear me? I'm off mute, I think. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The difference between democracy in Pakistan and Britain, the difference between democracy in Pakistan and in Britain is about 200 years. That's all. Okay. Britain started as a feudal country where the land-owning class dominated. Pakistan started as a feudal country where the landowning class dominated. If you live in the constituencies of the landowners, you follow the politics of the landowner. That's the way it is in Pakistan. That's the way in Britain industrialized, power transferred more to those with capital, with money, whether it was big business or finance. As Pakistan is changing, more of that transfer is coming into big business. So you do see the the wealthy big businessmen bankrolling some of these big political parties. So in both cases, the democratic system looks after the interests of the elites. The only difference is over time, the elites change, and maybe they're larger in number and more diverse. Rather than a few hundred families, they end up being a few thousand but there's still the 1% or less than 1% of the population which the system serves. And, and it's a, it, democracy is a rigged system wherever it is because the fact that the system allows lobbying from the most wealthy, the fact that political parties rely on financing, the fact that all these things means that legislation is geared towards their benefit. It is, and that is one of the reasons why Mazhav says they all get go back there. In, in Pakistan, maybe the kickbacks are a little bit more transparent, okay, than they are. They're a little bit hidden, a little bit more subtle here. What we call lobbying here is called rishwat, bribery in Pakistan, okay? So what's seen in some respects is better than in Britain because it's still seen as dirty, whereas it's all very sanitized in Britain and America. The lobbying system is seen as part of something which is intrinsic in democracy. So... I think uh, if people are holding out that this system can bring some change, they're fooling themselves because the system is there, will always be there to protect the interests of the elite. It will never go against that. Uh, uh, The best willed politician in the world with a majority in the House or the Senate can basically try and steer things slightly better for the masses, but he still has to deliver for the elites. Otherwise, he'll be out. And that's the reality. And in Pakistan in particular, remember, the civilian uh, politicians don't have direction on the strategic direction of the country. That's with the military. So, So it's not really even, you know, dealing with things like Kashmir, dealing with things like Afghanistan, dealing with the relationship with the United States, none of this really comes into the hands of the civilian uh, government, as, as Nawaz Sharif found out when uh, uh, he uh, fell out with the military. And as Imran Khan maybe has found out as well, if he's not seen to be within those red lines. 
We we have a question, uh, uh, Dr. Abdul Wahid, if I could just stay with you, just and if you can make it brief. We have Fourid Mia who's asked the question, what do you mean when you say the system, or what do, what do we mean, I think he may be alluding to what Maza mentioned earlier, that the fundamental parameters are the, are the same, no matter what the government is. What, what does that mean? What are we referring to when we say the system? It's good. This is an excellent question, because sitting here in, in Britain rather than in Pakistan, when I talk to people and people say Imran wants to change the system, Imran Khan talked about ending corruption. He talked about a better system of justice for people. Okay, this is the, the key thing was ending corruption. This is like one small area which changing the system has to deal with. If you have a democratic system where, which I say is open to manipulation by big business, when you have a nation state model which insists on dividing yourself off from the rest of the Muslim world, when you have a capitalist economy which insists on dealing with riba, and that for the ordinary person in Pakistan means the government has tied itself to IMF loans for decades, which 40% of uh, the budget goes to servicing that, that riba based debt. Okay? The system has to address all these things. It means a wholesale change. It means a wholesale change. It means you can't view yourself as a, 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 a Western-style capitalist democratic nation-state and expect that you're going to deliver justice and end riba and have uh, end corruption. It, it just can't happen. You have to do away with all these things. You have to do away with foreign interference. I mean, people are making a big noise about this alleged letter, but but <laughs> the, the whole of the the direction of the country is set by foreign interference, as Imran has said to us from the word go. So how, you know, the biggest foreign interference is the IMF. Surely it's dictating how you run your energy. It's dictating how you spend your money. It's dictating how you privatize your utilities. This is foreign interference which sadly has not brought people out onto the street. Um, so, so all of these things have to change, and it's only with an alternative system based on Islam that you can solve human, political, and economic problems from the Book of Allah and the Sunnah of His Messenger, which have ample solutions to show how this can happen. So, Jazakallah Khair to follow me in for that question. If you want to follow up, please come back, and, and we'll, we'll try to Put your follow-up question to the, to the panel. I have another question from the audience, which I'm going to direct towards Imran. Imran, we have um, somebody called Muhammad Wali, who's put a question forward on Facebook, where he asked the following. He says, uh, besides the U.S. influence and the military dictatorship, would it be accurate to say that Imran Khan has calculated everything wrongly by thinking the international situation and the balance of power had changed in favor of Russia and China, thus reaching out to those regional players. What are your thoughts? Uh, actually, this is not true. I, I disagree with this. Uh, the uh, Imran Khan uh, is strongly following American dictation. He he actually saved the occupier American army in the hotels of Karachi and Islamabad. Uh, 
uh, he's the one who told the US and the West that the Taliban are weak and use the economic leverage to convince them to change to their system. He's the one who gave I, his state bank to the IMF. He's the one who surrendered Kashmir. The Kashmir, the, the, surrender, the story of surrender of Kashmir is long. It started with Musharraf and it ended with Imran Khan and he did nothing actually. And he was openly saying, should I start war? And uh, he, 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 he stopped, he, and he did nothing actually, except for crying to the international order, which he clearly know would do nothing actually. So, so he's strongly in the, uh, in the lap of America. He did nothing to uh, damage the American interest. This, this story, this is only a narrative being built recently that Russia, China, and another block is, 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 is being created. In reality, this was the U.S. who wanted Pakistan to be part of that area. Uh, it was the U.S. who uh, who wanted Pakistan to join CPAC, and the U.S. wanted Pakistan to uh, to drag China towards the uh, north instead of going to south. It it wanted Pakistan to stand with the Russia so that the Russia have more courage to uh, attack Ukraine because it was trying to uh, drag Russia Russia to the Ukraine. Effectively speaking, the very simple answer is that. Indians did the oil deal with the uh, Russian despite embargoes, yet Imran Khan did nothing except a visit. So there, there, there is no block being formed and, which is anti-American and Pakistan is joining. This is only for political consumption and that is also only domestic political consumption. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, let, me, let me follow up with, with a question back to you. Uh, we've, got, we've got people who have, who have joined. And they are fielding questions. We will come to each one of your questions in turn. But uh, let me ask a question, Imran, that if democracy, we're saying democracy is the problem, what Abdul Wahid has highlighted and what we have intimated. If democracy is not the way forward for Pakistan, how does an alternative leadership come to the power? And, and how would that ensure that Pakistan is taken out of this cycle of different faces, all the same faces, but certainly the same problems? Okay. Uh, the way forward uh, is, of course, not democracy, as clearly explained by my fans. Uh, if the so-called angelic figure of Imran Khan has to succumb to all the pressures and blackmailing of these uh, allies and the different, uh, in Pakistan we call them ATMs, who funded his party. If he has to succumb to their pressure, then it means Nawaz and Zardari would never do that. If, if, if Imran Khan cannot do that, actually. So he offered three amnesty schemes. Actually, Nawaz offered two amnesty schemes, but Imran Khan offered three amnesty schemes. Which means you can you can uh, launder all your money, the black money, into white money if you invest in some construction industry. So the democracy is not the way forward. That's very obvious. Now, uh, practically, the way forward is neither bullet nor ballot. The bullet used by people they were crushed because you have to convince the masses. And you have to change the destiny of the nation, not fight the nation, not fight the institutions. So the bullet is not the way forward. And the ballot, we know in the ballot system, the parameters are already set and you are here to serve the parameters. You are not here to change the system. 
to change the system you need to convince the masses on your call on your idea and you must be an ideological movement because you have to change you have to change the system and you have to solve the problem faced by the people and that can only be done by an ideological movement so it is an ideological movement convincing the people that a change is must and they need to create a political vacuum which is already there in pakistan and then convince the people of power the people of nusra the people of influence so that we can replace this current political medium which is western back medium which is there to support the western idea western solution we have to replace this political medium and that can only happen when you have a complete authority therefore the correct mechanism to bring about a change is to convince the people of power to support this change and for that the work in the public is a must so so there is an argument that that um if the power itself lies within the military and these institutions and and they can restrict your ability to reach the people then isn't that a, a cyclical argument where you can never ever reach the people and therefore you can never reach the power but you will continue in a cycle of struggle is that not the case yeah they can they can do restrict your access to the people and it will affect the pace with which you can reach the people but they cannot stop you from reaching to the people because you are you are from the people you live with the people and you have multiple access point to the people so they cannot stop you from approaching approaching the people so number one this is the important point that they, can, they cannot stop you secondly there there are many ways through which you can uh, bypass their limitation and that is if you uh, directly try to access the leaders of the society instead of the the massive level of society if you access the leaders of the society then you can take the leadership of the leader and that is a more quicker approach to convince the society for change and lastly you need to seek support from within the power The, the the military is not a monolithic institute which has only one opinion and there is no difference of opinion and all carry one thought one idea and one thinking so it is important because they are also muslims they support this call they they also feel the pain of the ummah so therefore it is difficult actually for the for the leadership of military and civilian to directly clamp down on the on the change worker so there are there are many ways and means to access the people and get our project through thank you very much let me follow uh, uh i mean you 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 mentioned a lot about accessing the people about changing the people and working with the people uh question that i had and there's also a question which has come from from uh, one of our viewers where he asked the question that other other is it not the case that the people in pakistan are unable to link the modern problems that pakistan faces to an islamic solution and therefore the ability for us to be able to change them slow it may be long or maybe not be possible then that kind of ties in with it with another question that we had that the people in pakistan are corrupt and if they corrupt they're not going to accept islam because islam needs purity so therefore again going back to that point is it not the case that the people in pakistan just simply are not ready they 
more interested in money than they're interested in their Islam. Let me put that again to Imran. And for our viewers, I'm directing a lot of questions towards Imran because Imran is actually on the ground, number one. And uh, while we have him, because the connection sometime, uh, and we apologize, it goes in and out, and sometimes the, the, the volume or the sound quality is good and sometimes it's not. So I'm trying to maximize the input from the ground from Imran, but I will come to, to our guests who are, who are outside of the country. So Imran, so back to that point, the people in Pakistan are corrupt. They can't link Islam to the modern day problem. Do you not see that being a problem in, in terms of trying to bring some type of an Islamic change in the country? Okay, Jazakallah khair. Uh, two questions. Actually, I, I will separately discuss the, 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 these two points. Number one is people are link their, the, the, the problem with Islamic solutions. And we have, we have been unable to find Islamic solutions for our problems. Uh, first of all, we have been living under the colonial influence for the last 200 years and the influence has been so overwhelming that it has not just affected some of our minds, it affected the roots of the Islam. The Islamic even principles are affected affected by because of the colonial influence. So it, therefore it is expecting the common people to find Islamic solutions from the true, precise, pure roots of Islam is actually a bit uh, over expectation. It is the job of an ideological movement, the deep thinkers, the intellectuals, the mushahideen to find the solution, Islamic solutions from the, uh, the, the solution to the problem of the people are facing from Quran and Sunnah in its purest form. Alhamdulillah, Hezbo Tarir has done that. And of course, there are other movements who have been contributing to that, that, that big project and that big cause. And of course, Hezbo Tarir is leading that movement. So therefore, the argument that we don't have the Islamic solution for the current problem faced by the people is, 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 is no more correct. Uh, we have the solutions. We have the alternative constitution. We are launching our, our policies for all the major problems of Pakistan. In the upcoming month, we have, we have launched that in 2018. We have launched them in 2013 according to the current data and current statistics. So Hezbo is at the forefront of presenting the solutions for the problem faced by the different countries. So that's the first point. Regarding second point that people are inherently corrupt, people are impure, they are not ready for Islam. This is this is again uh, a very shallow view, I would say. These, these people who we are saying they are corrupt, they are not paying taxes to the state, but they calculate zakat and they overpay it. Currently, the Hajj now cost 800,000 rupees in Pakistan. It increased almost three times in last five years, six years. And yet, no one is complaining. They are willing to pay for that. If the, the, they daily pay sadaqat, they are the one who are not taking car loans, car leasing because of interest. And they are using their old car and sitting in the workshops all the time because of they are avoiding interest. 84% people in Pakistan have not opened even an account in the bank. And those who have opened, most of them opened current account, which means there is no interest on that account. 99% people of Pakistan, in fact, more than that, have never had a credit card. 99% people of Pakistan never had a mortgage. 99% of people of Pakistan, in fact, more than that, never had a insurance. 
they are the one who never accepted the sanctity of this border accepting the fact that beyond the border is not our responsibility they always sacrifice for all the muslim in the world so you see the people are willing to, try to refresh your okay so so we we see that wherever we find that something is linked to the aqeeda something is linked to islam something is linked to a demand of islam and quran and sunnah the people sacrifice everything but if they see something demand 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 by the system the current the political order they give no sanctity to such things so that's why we feel that there are four martial law but no one came out against the martial law why because they don't own the democracy they do not give sanctity to the constitution but if someone even throw the nurani qaeda on on, on 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 the floor they would burn them actually that is their attachment to the islam their software is from islam their operating systems run on islam so we see the people not following the system they don't stand in the queues they don't follow the order of the system why because they don't own it so this is incorrect the whatever system that follow the islamic pattern the islamic paradigm people follow perfectly but when the system is following the democratic order people don't follow them so therefore we need to see it more deeply and it's shallow to say that the people are corrupt and it's often in the western countries uh, imran the kind of examples that people give they'll give examples that every time you fly into the country you're you're calculating whether you're going to make it through the airport without giving somebody a bribe when you're driving home from the airport you're calculating how many times are you going to be stopped when you have to give a bribe right uh, these are the kind of things that that people outside of the country tend to that tends to be their experience right uh, and it's is based upon that that they conclude that the people are corrupt i i understand what you're saying you're giving examples of where the muslims you know they show good morals or good islamic judgment but conversely there are these experiences that people have who travel into the country and therefore they conclude from it that that that's the nature of the country i mean there's a famous view here that if you were to do business in pakistan unless you're handing money up the chain at every level whether at the local the provincial level all the way up you're not going to achieve anything how would you counter that with what you're saying look islam works and islamic values islamic moral islamic system it works in its own paradigm it do not work in the western paradigm if if uh, from the top to bottom everything is the capitalist framework which is guiding people towards their self interest uh, and not taqwa and no one is guiding them about taqwa there are no islamic punishment there are no islamic no, no, neither their needs are fulfilled then naturally this result into decay in the in the in the morals of the people so we are talking about a country where more than 50% people living below poverty line and poverty line is just 2 dollar a day they cannot meet their both ends so uh, how you expect them not to take bribes in fact the system promote those who take bribe who work in a corrupt manner and those who are not corrupt they are they are actually sidelined so the system promotes them it started from the top from the chief secretary from the assistant secretary from the other at the top level the politicians are corrupt and they allow corrupt people and that's why you see the system is following a corrupt culture in pakistan there there are some department where you don't see any corruption and i would simply ask 
again why we, we we should not be shallow we should we should just compare why the motorway police in pakistan they don't take bribe and the normal police always accept bribe in fact they force you to, to give bribe the same people coming from same university educated in the same manner coming from similar families why there is a difference to show the impact of the system from the top they were given handsome salaries they were given uh, uh, good uniforms they were given respect and there was st- uh, strict punishment on corruption and they are not taking any bribe but in co- contravention if you see the, co- the pakistan customs pakistan police and other department those who are not taking taking bribe they are sideline and within a year almost they force everyone to accept the corrupt status quo they have to give share to the top if you are not taking bribe you still have to give your share to the top officers so how can i operate in such a system so this is a systematic flaw actually thank you very much uh let me move on from 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 that question around the people and let me direct this one towards mazar mazar uh, we have someone who has has posted a question uh, through youtube but it's very similar to a question that that i have so i i will i will word mine uh the person asks and and the question is that if pakistan were to move away from the current system or the current order that that dominates pakistan and and indeed the world uh just look at the west's response to russia over ukraine or what happened to iraq or or or, or the back and forth of sanctions in uh, in iran would would a change in pakistan to an islamic system not bring more threats and make the situation worse for pakistan than it is now you know um people tend to come from this from a very inferiority complex uh uh when they answer this question and they're always worried about if we do this somebody is going to do this to us america's going to boycott us the west is going to boycott us we're not going to be able to do it and we are going to suffer so therefore we can't allow to have a drastic change this comes from a very inferior position because as it's already been mentioned by by, by the other speakers uh, and guests today the reason america is in pakistan is because pakistan has got a strategic value to them pakistan has got america has certain interests which pakistan can fulfill for them so for them to boycott pakistan also has a negative effect on them as well it's not one way so for example um if there's if there's a, a, one of america's strategic interest in the region is to have peace between pakistan and india in order to Uh, have uh, uh, peace in that region in order that china can focus on uh, india for china in order to curtail the growth of china this is one of america's foreign policy objectives so they need pakistan they need india they need to play this game now if pakistan withdraws from america america loses as well and it's the second largest muslim country in the world right so if if they pull away from that now suddenly the balance between america and china changes so they have to factor that into it factor that into it if they boycott pakistan if they demonize pakistan there is so much anti-american feeling across the world it is only going to galvanize that position even more and the insecure most regimes puppets that they have across the world they're going to be even more insecure so it's not a one way road that if america you know just boycotts us and then they can forget about us no 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 well and 
And what we need to understand is absolutely, if we establish a Khilafah, Islamic system, you've got to understand there will be a cost. There will be an element of sacrifice. There will be an element of hardship. But we have an Iman. We have our deen, which has programmed us and which has taught us the values to cope with that. It has given us a resilience. And we can do that. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was boycotted for three years. And the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, they starved for three years. So this is an example to us. This is a lesson to us that there will be a cost. There may be a price. There may be hardship. We have the iman to come through that. But that's on the one hand. But the other hand is when there's pressure on the other side, on the West, they don't have the resilience. They don't have the sabr that we have. And they are going to give up much more easily than we are. We are going to. Just look at the case of Afghanistan. 20 years America went there. And yet they were still not able to achieve their political objectives. Because why? They operate on a cost-benefit analysis. We operate on a halal and haram benefit. We operate on seeking the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So our dynamics are completely different. Our dynamics are completely different. So yes, there will be some hardship, but we are an ummah that can and an aqidah that will help us to deal with these things. Thank you very much. Uh, l- let me follow up with, with, with Imran. Imran, uh, Mazar was talking about that there may be hardship, there may be difficulties, and these are inevitable because if you're looking for change. Uh, but there should also, should there not also be thinking from people who are calling for change in terms of some considerations about things that can be done to mitigate that as much as possible? So my question is that, what are some of the immediate noticeable steps you envision an Islamic state could take uh, to create a new vision for Pakistan and in, indeed for the world for that matter? Uh, and I asked that question in the context of, of the crisis in the Ukraine. Suddenly discussions emerged, which previously were, were not discussions, were even dismissed. Things like you know, moving away from the, the trading, or the world trading system, uh, or pegging the than the petrol dollar or even changing currencies and linking those two to gold. So what are some of the, the steps you envision that an Islamic state could take to, to create a new world or to demonstrate to people that actually this is a, a change which is fundamentally different to what has come before? Okay, what we, what we understand is uh, American military power is not that much that it can attack the Muslim world or even a country like Afghanistan anymore. Uh, the, the, the American strength lies in using the international order, uh, which you just pointed out, like the SWIFT system or the FATF or the dollar petrodollar currency. These are their strong areas where they would be using against Muslim world or in the Khilafah if we establish in Pakistan. It will be like a cold war and they have some leverage in this area. So we have to cut the, this leverage immediately. Uh, that is why we need a, we need to launch from an area which had at least certain potential. That that include uh, it has the defense capability. Number two, it has the food security, and number three, it has the energy security. So it has to uh, to have these th- these three 
potentials existing in that area so that we can start the state. Pakistan has all these potential actually. Uh, Pakistan has its own food security. Uh, we produce abundantly and even if sometime uh, we are short of certain uh, grains, it is because of the mismanagement rather than uh, because of the potential. So we have uh, reasonable food security with us. In fact, we can we can manage Afghanistan and Central Asia if we can just properly plan uh, the, the, uh, about this food security. Similarly, the defensive capability is too obvious. Uh, if America cannot even make Taliban surrender, uh, while they don't have any simplest of the air defense, how can they fight a country with the fifth or sixth largest nuclear stockpile? So attacking Pakistan is simply impossible if we establish Khilafahir. Already Americans have concluded that they should not be entering into Muslim land again with the land forces. They will always be using some allies or some airstrike, but they, can, they do not want to enter into Muslim land. And Americans uh, entry into Muslim land was actually facilitated by the Muslim rulers. It was not their actual power. It was all rented and borrowed by rulers. So... And regarding the, the, the energy security, we are we are sitting at the uh, just uh, close to the state of Hermas, and Iran is on our border. Central Asia is close to us, and we can ensure that we have the uh, energy security. So our first threat, number one, extension of the land. We need to immediately expand to Afghanistan and Central Asia, and then to Gulf. That is our immediate immediate number one target. So that it expands to such an area that America even cannot uh, think about doing anything. In fact, we would be in the position to uh, to basically blackmail them. Instead, they blackmail us through the international order. Number two, we have to remove all the even traces of colonialism from the Muslim world, whether it is in the form of embassy, whether it is the form of the uh, the uh, British consuls are in the form of the educational institutions, or the media organizations, or NGOs, or international NGOs, and every link that they have here in our countries through which they instigate shar and facade in our country, they instigate rebellion, they instigate corruption in our country. We will cut that, including the internet connections or anything that, that just gave them and leverage or leeway in our countries. So once you get this, then you can try to restructure the system according to Islam. So you have to first get annexation, stability, and removal of the foreign influence. This gives you now space for basically implementing your agenda in the country. Thank you very much, Imran. Uh, apologies to our audience. Uh, we had some problem with uh, what Imran was, was, was saying. Uh, Imran, moving on from there, question is where, I mean, I mean, towards the end of our show, we're, we're not too far off. Uh, question is, where does Pakistan go from here? We got PML, okay, noon, back in power. We got PTI supporters on the streets, okay, wanting less interference from the US. We got Bajwa, who's being questioned about his role in, in, in recent events. Uh, people do not trust the political class or what is known as, is quote, unquote, the establishment. So what do you envision is going to happen in the next six months, in the next one year, in terms of where Pakistan is, 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 is. Okay. Uh, is my voice clear now? Because I can see that it's still, there's some disturbance. 
I, I can hear some of what you're saying. If you want to speak and if it, if it gets difficult, I'll go to one of the other guests. Okay, so let me start. If there's a problem, then you can uh, ask from someone else. Uh, I would see things in a little bit big horizon instead of six months or one year because that is too operational in the details. I can see that the Muslim the concept of Muslim uh, Muslim Ummah, the concept of Islamic nationalism, the concept of anti-Americanism, the hat for colonialism, the hat for America, it is on the rise, it is, it is at the peak, and it is growing. It is getting mainstream. It was earlier in the fringe. It was sidelined to certain Islamists, but it is now on, in, on the mainstream. And avoiding the discussion of operational detail, this will create its own way. It will create its own path. It will reach to its destiny. The Muslim world will make errors, will make mistakes. It will go on hit and trial unless they follow the Wahi properly. So either they accept the guidance of the Wahi, and if it does not reach you or they are not convinced of that, then they will reach to the same position from hit and trial, but it is moving towards the Muslim unity, the end of democracy, the end of liberal order, the end of capitalist economy, we are moving in that direction. Okay, the pace may be slow or may be quick and it can be sudden, it can be delayed. That may happen depending on the detailed interaction of different forces or the opportunity, but we are moving toward that direction because the now the old chore and daku are back and people have no expectation from them and they have seen the face of change as well therefore people are now looking for a serious option what is the way forward and this is what i'm personally experiencing from my 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 my, my contact base who are all asking in detail how the khilafah can solve the problem that we are facing they are getting more serious they are inquiring they are looking into details and they are asking and they show the ummah interest in the project of khilafa inshallah jazakallah khair for your answer uh, dr abdul wahid imran's talked about pakistan he's talked about what is happening there he's talked about what is some of the vision and, and I think for our audience, it's very difficult within you know this time to go into a lot of detail. But hopefully, you know what we've opened up uh, in today's discussion is a different way of looking at the problem. So rather getting into the to the details of of what Imran did or didn't do, or what PTI did or didn't do, it was rather that that they were constrained in the first instance because of the system systemic problem that exists within Pakistan. And Imran has talked about an alternative Islamic vision. A question for you is that there is a, a large population of Pakistanis that live outside of Pakistan. So what would your advice be to Pakistanis who live in the Western countries or in, in Britain? How could they contribute towards uh, supporting the cause for change, the call for Islam in Pakistan? The things that they could, they could, they could get involved in. So I, I, think, I think the first thing I'd say is it's very useful for any of us who are living in Britain to hear the voice of somebody like Imran, who's an activist in Pakistan, because really um, Muslims from Pakistan living in the West, um, they have a very strange uh, outlook. It's almost 
actually, in my experience, almost any government that's in power, they defend them um, uh, because um, an attack on a particular regime in Pakistan is seen as an attack on the whole of the country. So they get very defensive, whether it was uh, Noon League before or even even under Musharraf's time, extent to Zardari's time, though much less, I suppose. Um, but people will get defensive. And I, what I'd like them to see, particularly in this latest escapade, is that the system doesn't deliver what they and the people of Pakistan hope for, and it never will. And more than that, the more you understand what is the alternative, what is, why doesn't it deliver? It doesn't deliver because it's fundamentally un-Islamic. Fundamentally, the system is, is born in Europe, uh, which was for people to decide their affairs outside of control of the church. So literally, the, the system that you, you're supporting, is the system of democracy, is something born in Europe which has not even been fit for purpose in Europe. The nation state is not even fit for purpose in Europe. So why are we trying to implement that in Pakistan? And uh, from my experience, what we say here matters because politicians in Pakistan, movers and shakers in Pakistan, do care what the diaspora say and think. They do, they do that a lot. In fact, you can argue that's one of the reasons they've extended the vote to overseas Pakistanis as well in, in forthcoming elections. They do care indeed about the opinion here. So when we understand Islam, understand Khilafah, understand how it would apply within Pakistan, you should add your voice for change. You should add your voice for work for Khilafah because this is not something which is actually just going to put bread on the table or a roof on the head or clothes on bodies. It's something that's actually going to establish the system which carries Islam to the world, carries the, an alternative to the injustice that we're seeing in the world. And, and that be its start point, inshallah. So contribute yourself to that effort, inshallah. Zakallah Dr. Abdul Wahid. Um, we've come to the end of the show. There is one question that, that has just been posted, but I think I think we will leave it because I think it's already been answered. The question was from Kamran Fakri who asked, how will you establish the Khilafah with the people in time that you engage with them and you present work? Um, and, and it needs patience and it needs long. Um, coming to the end of the show, what I want to do just before we, we, we finish is I just want to give each of the, the, the panelists an opportunity, just a 60 seconds for you to summarize in terms of the key points that, that we have covered so uh, let me start with Adnan. Adnan, we, we, we talked today about, you know, the, 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 the players. We talked about the politics and we talked about the people, right? And in the subject of, of the players, we talked about the outside influence and the capability. Let me ask you just to summarize uh, what, what somebody should take away from today's discussion from your perspective. Okay, I think the key point I would say is uh, Pakistan's potential. Uh, there's a reason why successive international players are in Pakistan. There's a reason why China, Russia uh, are interested in Pakistan. Pakistan has a lot of potential. They all have their eyes uh, on, on this region. So what Pakistan needs to do really is get its uh, act in order get rid of the system that's uh, holding them back, that's actually chained them, and then they can actually take advantage and actually bring something to the region and uh, beyond that the people are crying out for. 
We talked quite a bit today about uh, democracy. I think one thing we didn't mention is survey after survey is saying only one thing about democracy around the world, that people in the West and the developed countries are losing confidence in it. People don't have confidence in their politicians. This is not something that's unique to Pakistan. It's actually a massive problem in the West uh, as well. So rather than looking to maintain this import system, we need to really uproot it, place it in the dustbin of history where it belongs, and really take advantage and make use of the potential that is there in the region and uh, in the wider Muslim world, inshallah. Dr. Abdul Wahid, 60 second summary of anything you would like to add that people should take away from in addition to what the nerd said. When people are talking about changing the system, it does not mean using the same system to try and just reduce the amount of corruption in the country or slightly increase the amount of justice in the country. Changing the system means removing the corrupt system of democracy. You know, when you ask the question, people say, isn't it because the people are inherently corrupt? I thought to myself, why is the system of democracy is inherently corrupt? No matter where it is in the world, it is inherently corrupt. And beyond that, the... The the, 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 the the outlook of the country has to change from the Muslim Ummah to one where you're looking to unite with the rest of the Muslim Ummah. One from an outlook of that you're going to have closer and closer relations with a hostile neighbor in India to one which is going to look at how you are going to prioritize your security considerations towards that neighbor. Um, and, and one, finally, most important is, if you care about American interference, it is not just about one politician or one election or one facet of the country. Foreign interference, colonial interference runs through Pakistan like a poison going through the system, whether it's the IMF, whether it's the international law, whether it's the diktats from the United States on foreign policy and setting the strategic vision. That has to change. Get rid of that and you'll break free uh, from the, the drug addiction, if you like, that Pakistan has had for over 70 years. So, Mazar, you talked about, from Adnan, the potential. We talked about Abdul Wahid, about the need for a new system. Uh, Leaving aside the, the negativities about people and their qualities we've already talked about, uh, some positive things. Are the people in Pakistan ready? Do they have what it takes to, to bring about a change in Pakistan? Something about the people in your view. You know, the people in Pakistan, uh, with all the hardship that they faced, all the difficulties that they faced, they are resilient. And uh, Brother Imran sp spoke about that uh, when it comes to giving charity, when it comes to giving zakat, they don't hold back. If you look at the refugee population in Pakistan, it's got one of the largest refugees pop population. You don't have the like here in Britain. You've got two people coming across in the Calais and they want to ship them back to, to, to Rwanda. You don't get that in Pakistan that they want to ship all the refugees off to Rwanda. So, so it's good in the people. But there's something more than that. There's a love for Islam. And when Salahuddin Ayubi was a boy, they used to talk about who's going to liberate Masjid Al-Aqsa. We have that same discussion now in Pakistan. And they read the hadith about the black banners coming from the east and going to Aqsa. And they have a desire that we want to be those people that not only that we bring change in Pakistan, we want to be those people whose names are etched in the books of history, the ones that liberated Masjid Al-Aqsa. 
And that desire burns in the hearts of many people in Pakistan much more brightly than it does in other places. So I personally have a lot of hope and a lot of a lot of uh, uh, hope that goodness is going to come from this place, inshallah. Jazakallah khair. And finally, to our guest, Imran Yusufzai, uh, I'll give the last word to you. What is some of the direction that, that you can give to the people in Pakistan and how they can engage in work and what they need to do? Imran, if you could start to get bit, the, the sound quality is very bad. I don't know if you're able to refresh your browser, but the quality is very poor at the moment. Okay. I want a message عوام کو یہ دینا چاہتا ہوں کہ پاکستان اس وقت ایک کراس روڈ کے اوپر ہے اور ہم نے تبدیلی سرکار بھی دیکھ لی ہے اور ہم نے پرانے چور ڈاکو بھی دیکھ لیے ہیں اور ہمیں نظر آ چکا ہے کہ اس تبدیلی سرکار کو کس چیز نے ناکام بنایا اور وہ وہ نظام تھا جس نظام نے اچھے سے اچھے برے سے برے بندے کو اسی راستے پہ لگایا جس راستے پہ باقی سارے چل رہے ہیں تو ہمارے سامنے مسئلہ کلیئر ہے نئے الیکشن سے کوئی نظام تبدیل نہیں ہونا اس سے نہ ہی آئی ایم ایس سے جان چھوٹنی ہے نہ ہی ایف اے ٹی ایف سے جان چھوٹنی ہے نہ ہی کشمیر کے لیے افواج موبلائز ہونی ہے نہ ہم افغانستان کو اپنے ساتھ جوڑ پائیں گے نہ ہی سے کوئی اکنامک ترقی آنی ہے پچھلے تین سالوں میں پر کیپٹا انکم پندرہ سو سے بارہ سو ہو گئی ہے سو ایفیکٹولی ہم سب اندر سے جانتے ہیں کہ اس جرنیل کو کہا جائے اس تک میں پہنچوں اور آپ پہنچیں اس افسران سے کہا جائے کہ تمہارے چند گھنٹوں کے عمل سے پوری مسلم امت کی حالت بدل سکتی ہے تم کیسے آرام کر رہے ہو جب تمہارے سامنے پورا پروجیکٹ ریڈی پڑا ہوا ہے تم کیسے ہولڈ کر سکتے ہو آپ نے اور میں نے ان کو اپروچ کرنا ہے اور کنوینس کرنا ہے I think it was again disturbance. Jazakallah. I think we, we lost a little bit, but I, I think we, we, we got the main part of your message. Jazakallah, uh, Imran Yusufzai, for, for joining mm-hmm. us from Pakistan. And indeed to all of our guests, uh, Jazakallah for your time uh, discussing this very important topic. Um, I mean, today we attempted to present an alternative discussion and discourse about what is happening in Pakistan. People have been so caught up in the intricacies of who's done what and how uh, and blaming one side and the other side and hopefully what our guests have demonstrated that the problem in Pakistan is systematic uh, systemic and therefore if you want to create a change you have to bring about a new system you cannot just replace one face with another uh, no matter who that is because whichever face you bring to the front irrespective of their intention they will always be constrained by the parameters of the system and that's what prevents them from moving the country forward inshallah ta'ala we we hope that this is a discussion that the muslims will will carry forward and we ask that you 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 go onto the websites of hazbat ahri in pakistan or in the uk to find more literature and more discussion and and discuss and, and debate these these points within our communities in order to to create a better vision for the muslims of pakistan and indeed the world So from everybody on the show, Jazakallah had for your time. Again, any technical problems, you all know it's a live show. You always have challenges, problems with the sound because of our guests. We, we apologize. 
eyes. But until the next time, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Podcasts on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran tafsir, and seerah are available at islampodcasts.com as well as on iTunes. Rate, review, and comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please subscribe, share, and tell a friend about islampodcasts.com. 